Hiya, Raji Sohal here. Today on the podcast, we talk to the BCSPCA about an alarming incident in mission involving the rescue of 63 dogs and what to do about feeling a little bit down after the holidays. My guest is a therapist who says it's normal and she has some advice on how to get through it. But first, Sylvain Charlebois, the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, joined me to talk about the price of grocery, like chicken, going up at major grocery stores. Inflation has sparked new benchmarks for costing and frameworks throughout the supply chain. We're going to talk food prices, shall we? People have been taking to social media with photos of how expensive their grocery items are. Well, one person garnered a lot of attention when they tweeted, nearly $40 for five chicken breasts. That's what one tweet read. And soon after that, the billionaire, Galen Weston, who is also the owner of Loblaws, started trending online. For more, I'm joined by Sylvain Charlebois, director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Sylvain, bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> I love speaking with you. <laughs> Consumers are understandably very angry at what they say is the greed behind what's going on with our food inflation, the prices we're seeing at the grocery stores. And now some people are saying we should even go as far as boycotting com- the company that owns uh, Loblaw, Shoppers Drug Mart, Superstore, due to these exorbitant hikes in food prices. And then Weston responded by saying, uh, there's little that the company can do about it. Is that true? Well, sort of. Uh, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, retailers do control uh, prices, really. I mean, if they want to sell a product at a loss, they can. It's called a loss leader. Uh, so I, I would take uh, Mr. Weston's comment with, uh, with a grain of salt, but... Keep in mind in Canada that uh, that chicken, uh, poultry is supply managed. So farmers do get uh, decent money for 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 the work they do. That's one thing that we need to keep in mind here. It's very different than in the U.S. In fact, if you you guys are close to the American border, anyone who's gone to the U.S. to buy uh, poultry or eggs would have noticed that uh, those products are much cheaper in the U.S. That's essentially do the supply management but still the the uproar uh was really interesting last week because when you look at the label uh it was 36 dollars for five chicken breasts um it's free from antibiotics skinless boneless i mean the the price itself wasn't out of the ordinary but people just uh got upset uh instinctively and and that was interesting i think it really points to how people are frustrated angry uh concerned about food security in general yeah for sure you mentioned chicken there on twitter you wrote that loblaws makes money selling chicken breast no doubt but make no mistake so do chicken farmers so does that mean that if grocery prices go up somewhere down the chain the producers are making money too because there is a public perception that the farmers aren't doing well that's right yeah i mean essentially a lot of people can relate to grocery stores but they can't really relate to food processing or farming because it's far away from their reality i mean it's Let's face it, food systems are an obscure concept. The portal 
we have into the food industry uh, are grocery stores. So as soon as something goes wrong, we're quick to blame grocers. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be blamed. In fact, I would say that consumers have a right to be angry at grocers. There is a track record there. You know, think of the bread price fixing scheme, yes. for example, or that lasted uh, for you know, years. what happened with I know, 14 years. They broke the law for 14 years. Nobody went to prison. Nobody got fined. Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah. And and also, I mean, the Hero Pay uh, disaster, uh, which happened during COVID, the self-checkouts, people hate. I mean, there's, there's, there's a track record there that really can get people to be upset, uh, and rightly so. But... Uh, I think really the regime we have in Canada uh, uh, is making a lot of people feel unprotected. And uh, there are just few options out there, uh, just a few grocers, and and they control uh, a big chunk of the market. And I think people are just very concerned about that. And the the Competition Bureau, and this is the message I gave to Ottawa in December when I went to testify before Parliament, um, Canadians feel unprotected, and that's why they're hangry. You said there's very few options, but you also mentioned the loss leader. So why not? Why not go that route for a little bit? We know that Loblaws is uh, raking in the profits and that they could afford to. They could afford to lower those prices. So why not do it? Well, they did freeze prices for 1,500 products in October. If you remember, they actually declared uh, a, a freeze for no-name branded products. Sorry, for, they, uh, they did for... claim that, Sylvain, but I'm not sure if you came across these, but I saw images where on products that they claimed that freeze, there still was incremental price increase over weeks. You know, sometimes 10 cents, 20 cents, 30 cents, whatever, but still these products didn't remain in a freeze price. I've been trying to find clear evidence of that. I couldn't. I haven't. And I've been looking and looking. Because uh, what has happened uh, in some cases is that uh, after the price freeze, some some prices actually drop even further, but they went up again. Mm. So respecting the freeze. But it's hard to – when, you, when you're dealing with 1,500 products – and several stores around the country where pricing strategies do vary significantly, it's always hard to find clear evidence beyond social media. A lot of people post social... I I look at social media every single day. There's lots of misinformation there. And that's why we need to be careful with with how... uh, with, with. with accusations, for example, the pri- I, I, I haven't found any evidence that the price freeze was, uh, was breached. Let's put it this way. I see. Yeah. And speaking of food security, what are the chances that grocery prices are going to go down to what they were before? They won't. They're not going to. Uh, on, on, no. So in December, we, uh, we released uh, Canada's food price report in partnership with Guelph, Saskatchewan, and, and UBC. And uh, we are expecting food prices to continue to rise uh, until probably the end of spring, 5 to 6%. But things, the second part of 2023 will likely be friendlier to consumers on a tight budget. So, uh, so this winter, we're not expecting a, an easy winter, but things will get better as we go through 2023. But uh, when, when it comes to costing, there's a, there are new benchmarks out there. So salaries have gone up. If you look at Satscan's report on Friday, uh, people are making more money. 
And people are making money in the food industry. Someone has, someone has to pay for that. And so that's why there's a new, there are new costing um, uh, frameworks out there in the food industry making everything costing more to produce and distribute and sell. Sure. So, yes, I, you know, I even uh, did a piece where I went to a local bakery that's always booming and I uh, interviewed the owner there about how business is going. She said, it's going fabulous. Like we can't, we're super busy, but uh, we, it's what we had to do is put the cost on the consumer. So some, the cost of some items had even doubled, Uh, but it was the only way that they could continue to pay their staff because as you say, uh, people are, have increased wages to retain staff and so yeah. uh it's fallen you know on what the, the big problem is right now to yeah. be honest Reggie, theft oh oh yeah theft is a big problem it was a big problem before but it got worse over the last i'd say six to nine months so there's been reports of major thefts in, across the country right now over the last month uh, four thousand five thousand dollars the average grocery wow. store uh, gets anywhere between two to five thousand dollars worth of food stolen every single week. Wow! So yeah. man, I was not and, and expecting you to say that. that. Yeah, everyone pays for that, right? So, because margins are anywhere between one point five to to three percent. So you can't really afford to see all that product go out the go out the door without someone paying for it. So everyone pays for theft. Wow! And and and. Yeah, and self-checkouts are also a big problem. A lot of grocers are, are encouraging people to use self-checkouts, but self-checkouts tend to, because of the technology we have, it tends to increase theft as well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. I thought self-checkout was... So those, are, those are hidden costs. Yes. Consumers really don't see that, but no. at the end of the day, we all pay for these things. And sure. so we have to kind of appreciate... Uh, for what's what's going on. The good news, because I do want to provide some good news to your listeners, is <laughs> we that, would love things, that. Are more, <laughs> <laughs> things are more predictable. So at 10, yes. when the food inflation rate is at 10%, it's crazy. You can't really offer discounts to consumers because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. But things are calming down. So we are expecting more deals out there, more lost leaders. So be on the lookout Use apps like Food Hero, Flash Food, sure. too good to go. Yeah. You'll get more deals that way. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, merci beaucoup, Sylvain. My pleasure. Take care. Well, BCSPCA animal protection officers have removed 63 neglected dogs from an individual in a mission who claimed to be operating a rescue organization. For more on what happened, I'm joined by Eileen Drever. She's a senior officer with protection at BCSPCA. Hello, Eileen. Eileen, what happened? Well, um, the BCSPCA had received a concern from a member of the public re- regarding dogs kept in um, in a home out in the mission area. Um, our animal protection officers attended, and I have to say, this is not the first time the SPCA has attended this address, simply because, you know, our goal is, when we receive a concern from a member of the public, is to help an owner or caregiver provide the necessities of, for their animals. 
Um, so we had attended this address and we found a number of animals to be in distress. And because we had um, given her notices of distress in the past, of which she had complied, um, we decided that enough was enough and we had to actually apply for a, a warrant. And we did so, executed the warrant, which resulted in the removal of 63 neglected dogs. Um, just to give you some definition of the, 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 the meaning of distress is an animal is deprived of adequate food, water and shelter, injured, sick, in pain or suffering or abused or neglected. Now that's the definition of distress pursuant to the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. And these dogs definitely met the definition. <sighs> That's yeah. just, that's heartbreaking. That is so heartbreaking to hear that that could happen even to one dog, let alone 63 of them. Now, you mentioned, Eileen, that this had happened before with this individual. So well, this person yeah. was aware of the, the rules, was aware of the, that their conduct was awful. They did it again? Well, exactly. So, as I say, you know, a lot of people are a bit nervous hearing about the SPCA coming and checking on their animals and they get a bit defensive. But again, the goal is just to educate. We want to ensure the animals are being provided for. And that's when, if, if we come across an animal which has a problem, then we give the owner a notice and then if they fail to follow our recommendations, we then may have to take legal action, which would include the removal of the animal. But I'm happy to say the majority of people are happy to get the advice and they, they follow our recommendations. Well, that's really encouraging to hear. And in this case, how did the story even come to light in the first place? Well, a member of the public had contacted us. And um, I can say that the animals which were removed... They were living in unsanitary conditions. Over 50, five zero animals were living in the house. I know I have two dogs and, you know, it's a lot. Two is a lot, yeah. Two dogs, right. I can't even imagine 50 dogs. Um, The the, uh, ammonia levels were extremely high, causing irritation to the respiratory tract and irritation to the eye membranes. Um, they, they, suffered fr- they suffered from different uh, medical issues, and, and they were also suffering from psychological distress. You know, um, the animals were, were scared, nervous, uh, withdrawn, and, and it, I'm happy to say that in a few short days in our care, they're coming around. It's amazing what some TLC can do. Uh, they're beginning to trust, and these are sentient beings. And it is heartbreaking to see their wee faces and, and they're terrified and, and, and they learn to trust again. So anyway, I'm happy to say they're coming along nicely under our care. So all 63 dogs were removed. They're on their way to thriving. Are they at the BCSPCA? What is the current status? Okay, so any time the BCA, our BCSPCA constables remove an animal from a situation, the owner or caregiver has an opportunity to dispute that. And they can apply to the BC Farm Industry Review Board disputing our, our seizure. The, the caregiver in this case may very well do that. They will then make a decision whether or not to return the animals. It's out of our hands at that point. And if they decide that the animals are not going to go back, then we will be able to place them up for adoption. Okay. And where is that process just now? 
Well, I'm, I'm not even sure if she has um, sent in a letter of dispute. I see. Um, I can't really speak to that today, but, um, well, we'll just have to wait and see. And Eileen, I don't know if you can answer this because this story is so baffling for people with a heart, for people who have any empathy. You say that um, you said earlier that owners can be defensive sometimes when they're called out on an issue about their treatment of their pet. Yes. Um, how do you how do you approach that? And in this case, did you find that was the case? Well, I I, I believe so. Yes, in this case. Um, People don't like, in general, being told what to do. Um, we're there to give advice. We're there to educate. And, and, and in this case, we couldn't possibly reissue notices for the same things. And in the past, this individual has followed our recommendations. But during this visit, we noticed everything was sliding back again. And, and we just couldn't permit animals to continue to live in distress. Yeah, and you mentioned that it was 63 dogs, which is just uh, so hard to even uh, imagine. As you say, two dogs in a household can be a lot. Um, You said also that the dogs have been coming along. That's really positive to hear. What is being done to help them improve their situation? You know, first of all, we had to take care of their medical concerns, and that's sure. ongoing. Okay. We have to do that. And then our staff and volunteers just sit and give them the loving that they need, um, and, and then they learn to trust again. So that's really heartwarming when you see them coming around and, and, and learning to trust again. And, and you know, that's not, this is not to say that this individual is a bad person. Sometimes people have a big heart, and they, but they're unable to do the right thing. And they just don't know when to say, no, I can't take in any more animals. Mm. So um, I'm not saying this individual's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Things can get out of hand, but we, we, we're the last voice for the animals. I see. Um, and, and, and as I say, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, and I just also want to add the fact that we do work with reputable rescues. Um, there are some amazing rescues out there. Um, so... If you're planning on, on going to a rescue, um, please do your homework. Check out the facility beforehand. See how the dogs are living or the cats. Just do your homework first. I appreciate it so much, Eileen. Thank you for being with us today. You're very welcome. Have a great day. Did you take your Christmas tree down? And no shame if you did not. And if you did, did you feel good about it? Kind of out with the old and in with the new? Or did you feel a little bit sad, maybe a bit forlorn, a bit down? Because maybe having it up brought you a ton of joy. I know mine did. Well, it's not unusual for folks to feel a bit humdrum once the holidays are over. We're going to find out what to do about it from my next guest. Natasha Sharma is a therapist and founder of NKS Therapy. Good morning, Natasha. Good morning, Reggie. So what exactly are these post-holiday blues? What, is it, what do they look like? So, I mean, they can take different forms, but basically it's sort of that almost a feeling of a letdown of sorts and just a drop in maybe energy and just kind of maybe a sense of less positive positivity and maybe just a little bit kind of a feeling of, you know, that something has ended, you know, that there's been almost like a letdown, you know what I mean? And as a therapist, do you see much of this? Like, is it common? 
It's, I mean, what we see is not so much related to the post-holiday. I mean, people tend to be very tired after the holidays. There's a lot of exhaustion oh, yes. depending on what they did over that. Yeah, and so there's that's factored in as well as that part of that drop in mood. Um, but we see also, you know, as early as even before Christmas leading up to it because of the pressures and the expectations um, around the holidays and the change in the um, temperature and the daylight hours more specifically. So there is definitely more of uh, an uptick of people who report feeling um, difficulty with their mood, and especially in January. I know I, for one, during the holidays, you know, I'm seeing so much, especially this year, we finally got to see people, right? Hang out with people, Mm -hmm. be together with family and all these events and entertaining. Uh, When it was over, I did feel a sense of a little bit of social exhaustion, and mm-hmm. and then quickly I did go, oh, I miss seeing everyone. And it's going to be a while before we all do see one another again. Yeah, I think uh, social exhaustion, I think, is a very real thing. I mean, we are not all designed the same in terms of how much we we all need that. I think most of us need that and enjoy it. But to the degrees to which we do vary. And the holidays put a lot of that all together in one smushed up little section of time. So that can really take an unexpected toll on people. Yeah, for sure. And then what about introversion versus extroversion? Do people coming out of the holiday spell, do they, does that affect the mood, just whether they were an introvert or an extrovert? I think so. I mean, if you do enjoy that more, then you kind of feel it can, there's a relativity factor. It's almost like when you go on vacation with your family, you know, you spend a lot of time together from, all day long, it can seem a little odd. There's almost like an adjustment process when you come back. But it's fairly normal. It just takes a little bit of time to adjust. Most people adjust fairly quickly, no matter what side of the spectrum they fall on. But I will say I think it's important to be aware that we're not meant to really feel any anything in the extreme for a long period of time. So we're not meant to feel uh, switched on and happy and and delighted and that kind of holiday spirit. I mean, it kind of makes sense around that time. And and a lot of people, for a lot of people, they may not feel that, you know, the holidays represent something else. They're not a huge fan of them. They don't appreciate the expectations or they, they, they feel very weighted by them. And for still other people, it can be um, a difficult time because it can trigger sense of loneliness or that might be a difficult, a painful time for them. So there's a whole there's a whole melange of sort of things and that kind of, I think, come out around the holidays. It's different for different people. Yeah, that's so true. A good point that you bring up there is that some people might find the holidays triggering. Some people hang out with their families over the holiday and find that they are kind of stuck and have to endure stuff that they don't want to endure with uh, people's comments, old family patterns and that kind of thing. And so I wonder if coming out of that, that's part of what some people are experiencing in that post-holiday funk. But what can people do about that feeling? Do you suggest that they work through it somehow? Can you try to switch it off? I wouldn't really recommend trying to switch off any feeling because that's kind of, I think, the message that we are often given, but that's the not the best thing to do. Whatever it is that we're feeling, we kind of want to listen to it, right? Every emotion or feeling or mood that we're in is information for us. Sometimes we just need to sit with it and move through it, you know, move move forward through it. Um, like I said, we're not meant to be um, happy and 
content and, you know, it's almost like a toxic positivity culture, right? We're not really designed to be that way. So we have moments of joy and pleasure. um, And those are sensations that we often feel when we're doing things we love, like hanging out with people we enjoy or, or what have you. But most of the time, you know, we're meant to sort of be at a more regulated or a more baseline level of mood. So just sitting with it and not trying to fix whatever you're in, but instead listening to yourself, you know, if you're feeling down um, in a way that is starting to affect your functioning, your sleep, your ability to work, um, study, whatever it is that you usually do in your normal routine, and that's been happening for a prolonged period of time, that could be a sign of something that needs, you know, you need more support or help with. Um, but that would be my general advice. You mentioned people feeling sometimes lonely or isolated coming out of the holidays. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to sit with it, as you say? You said to sit with the feelings and to move through it. Sorry, what does that mean in terms of practicality? What does that look like? It means to not try and switch off an emotion. So it doesn't mean that you, um, if you have something that you need to be a part of, like you're doing a presentation for work, you might need to try and find a way to put it on hold temporarily. But in general, you don't want to try and distract yourself or we don't want to try and distract ourselves from what our body and minds are trying to tell us. If we're feeling something, um, whether it's sadness or anger or joy or whatever the feeling is, when it comes to loneliness, that's a feeling of disconnection or lack of connection. Um, It's a greater feeling of, of not having a sense of good quality relationships. So if a person really, it's different from feeling alone. And I think everyone needs to kind of know how to be alone with themselves, which is very different. If you're, if you are very content with yourself and your own company, you never really truly feel lonely. If you have that feeling of loneliness, it's a signal that you may not be as satisfied with the quality of the connections that you have in your life. And you might need to examine some of those social relationships. Yeah. That that might need more nurturing. And I wonder that must be a, a frightening feeling for someone to explore, to investigate. Absolutely. I think one of the things that um, research is showing us is that loneliness is on the rise. And it's not because we spend more time alone, because that's, again, loneliness and aloneness are different. Loneliness is on the rise because the quality of our social connections as a whole has decreased for a whole variety of reasons. Um, And the pandemic really did, I think, in some ways it helped some people move that forward. In other ways, it moved it backwards. So it is some, it is difficult to realize that because we are, as humans, we are very um, naturally driven to want good social connections with the people in our lives, with our fellow human beings. Yeah, I was talking to someone recently who kind of half-heartedly said this and was joking, but not really, uh, who said when the World Cup was happening, they were so involved in it and it was so much fun. And then, and they felt connected to human beings everywhere. And then Christmas happened and they felt fantastic again. And that coming out of those two things, they suddenly felt distraught and alone, lonely. I mean, if you if you over rely on human interaction and connections, then that's maybe a sign that you are not comfortable. We need the balance, right? We need to be able to be on our own. And I do recommend that people spend time alone. That's actually one of the tips that I have. But being able to spend time alone and be happy with that time, like actually be at peace with yourself, that's the key. So if you're not able to do that, if you're not able to switch between healthy social activity and human interaction um, and being on your own, 
that's not a great sign. We, like I said, we do need both. We need that human interaction and we need to be on our own. We need to be content. If we have, if we're missing one or the other in the extreme, which we have experienced in the last few years, that's usually, it, it typically creates distress for us. Very great insight. We really appreciate your time this morning, Natasha. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.